Good morning, church. He is risen. Oh, it sounds good. Well, if you uh, bet on the long odds that Rusty would wear a tie on Easter Sunday, good for you. It happened once a year. If I get a little red, it's because circulation is a little tight right here. I'm not going to lie. Let's put on a few pounds last year. Uh, Good to be with you. Uh, As Andrew's already said, if you're visiting here maybe with family and friends or you're just from the community and you felt like church might be a good place to be on Easter Sunday morning, so glad uh, that you're here. My name is Rusty. I've been here, uh, my my family and myself, for two and a half years in Stonewall. Uh, Time flies when you're having fun, right? Right, guys? Right? Anyway, when we moved here, I, I grew up a Flames fan and uh, kind of adopted the Jets, felt like it was the right thing to do, embraced all of that. Last year, went to a few of those whiteout parties, loved that tradition. This year, we're gonna go to a whiteout party in the second round, and uh, don't tell me what happened last night. I PVR'd it. I'm watching it after the service. Um, My kid's a little bummed out because Daddy made a promise. Every time the Jets win a playoff series, I'm taking you to the kiln for ice cream. So their hearts are broken. I said, sorry, kid, no no ice cream. Not till (laughs) next. April at the earliest. Um, anyway, so maybe you, some of you are a little down from last night's game. And maybe you walked in here this morning and you saw this white and you thought, either this place is full of Jets fans or this is a cult. Is this a cult? <laughs> We're not a cult. This morning, many of us, uh, we, we've come dressed in white uh, because this morning we are celebrating the original whiteout. We're celebrating the greatest whiteout this morning. You know, the the scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on a Friday, died on the cross, was buried, and then early that next Sunday morning, well, it reads this way, Matthew chapter 28, after the Sabbath, uh, at dawn on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his, his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Those words, he has risen, as we saw in that video, those words have transformed history, they've transformed countless lives, and they continue to transform lives today. Those words, he is risen. Game changer. I mean, they even reordered their whole week, those first followers of Jesus. You see, they used to worship and gather on a Saturday morning. That was a Sabbath. And you're worshiping here this morning on a Sunday morning because those people chose to change the day of the week that they would gather. They didn't choose to gather on a Friday, the day of his crucifixion. Those Christians chose to gather on a Sunday morning, the day of his resurrection, and they called it the Lord's Day. They were resurrection people that changed their lives and it changes our lives. Today, it changed fearful fishermen into fearless apostles. Those women, they went and they delivered the news to the disciples who didn't believe them. You're on something, Mary. I'm sorry. Dead people don't rise again, especially three days later. Except then all of those individuals and many more met the risen Jesus Christ. And that changed everything. They were changed from uh, fearful fishermen to fearless apostles. 
going out throughout the known world, delivering this news of this one that God had sent who died on the cross and rose from the dead for them. One of those uh, fearless apostles was Paul. Paul writes about the resurrection. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, I think, is probably the longest chapter of all the letters he's written. And he devotes this whole chapter to talking about the resurrection. And we're going to go through every word in great detail this morning. No, we won't. We're going to skip around through it a little bit. But he begins this, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word that I've preached to you. Otherwise, you may have believed in vain. And so he's devoted his life to sharing this gospel. Now, that's a Greek word, gospel. It's a word that was used about 500 years earlier, the year 490 BC, when there was a, a, a man by the name of Pheidippides, which is a really fun name to say. Say it with me. Pheidippides. Say it. Pheidippides. Isn't that fun? Pheidippides. Pheidippides was a messenger of the Greek army. In 490, as Persia was trying to conquer Greece, there was this great battle at a place called Marathon. And the Greeks were vastly outnumbered by the Persians. And there was this battle and uh, the uh, Pheidippides left that battle. At the end of that battle, he ran without stopping 26.2 miles from Marathon back to the city of Athens, where uh, when he arrived, he d- declared only one word to the city, Nike. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be funny, to be honest. I... Victory. It's actually not shoes. It's a Greek word. Means victory, declared Nike. Victory. And then he dropped down and he died. And maybe you know that story. That's where we get the marathon, right? 26.2 miles. It's named Marathon. Pheidippides uh, was delivering the gospel, the good news. And Paul has some good news to deliver to us here as well. He goes on. Uh, sharing what this news is. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, which was another name for Peter. We'll talk more about Peter in a few minutes. And then to the 12, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have have fallen asleep. Now what he's saying is you can fact check me on this. This is not fake news. This is good news. This isn't, these aren't good ideas. These aren't good suggestions. This is good news of a victory that has happened. Jesus has risen. Nike. He says, this good news is of first importance. This news makes all the difference. And that news is that Jesus, yes, he died, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he he rose, not just some sort of ghost. He rose in his body from the dead. What does that greatest truth mean for us? we, we, We could... 
go in lots of different directions and talk for a long time about all that the resurrection means. This morning, I, I just want us to see how Christ's resurrection reconciles us to our past and reconciles us to our future in a way that, that allows us to live victoriously in our present. Jesus in his resurrection reconciles us to our past, reconciles us to our future, and that allows us to live victoriously today in our present. So Paul goes on in, in chapter 15, verse 17, he says this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So l- let's turn that into like a positive statement, okay? So what Paul is saying is if Christ has risen then we are no longer still in our sins but we are free from the guilt of our sins that's what he's saying he's not saying that we don't sin anymore that you're going to be perfect what he's saying is that you are free from the weight of the guilt of your sin if Jesus has risen you have any regrets in life, I mean, if, if you don't, you haven't lived long enough, I suppose. I mean, we all carry regrets. We've all made mistakes, had our failures. We have our flaws, things we've done or haven't done that to us uh, cause us shame, embarrassment, sin, the Bible calls it. Um, things that taint us stain us. I mean, we all carry that with us. Thinking back to high school, I had a friend named Tim. This is Tim. Now, a couple years after high school, we parted ways, and uh, I remember watching probably TSN one night, the highlights of this young guy streaking at the Flames game. And then I saw a, a, a full-page picture of that streaker in the next Sports Illustrated magazine. And Erica wanted me to show you, or Annika wanted me to show you that picture on the screen. And I said, sweetie, I'd like to, but if I do, daddy's going to get fired, okay? <laughs> we won't be able to eat. I can't show them that picture. So this is the picture I'm choosing to show you of Tim on the ice. Anyway, I guess Tim got a little intoxicated and accepted a dare for 200 bucks to get naked. Well, not totally naked. He had run red socks and a watch. And he climbed the, the glass and he jumped on the, uh, onto the ice in the middle of the Flames game. And I guess wearing the socks was a bad idea, a little slippery, because he, he hit the ice and his feet went from underneath him and he went back and cracked his head and knocked him out self, himself out cold on his back, naked, in front of 20,000 people. <laughs> it's not a good day. <laughs> he eventually came to, they put him in a neck brace and uh, wheeled him off the ice. Just him. Uh, and so when you Google Tim's name, that's the first picture that comes up. Now, Tim, Tim I mean, he's moved on. Uh, he, he's a really devoted follower of Jesus. He's now the leader of the men's ministry in his church. He's a great guy, but you, you Google his name, and that's the thing that comes up. When I think of Tim, that's the first thing I think of. I cannot, th- I cannot think of Tim without picturing him. Oh, I don't want to picture him. I, I, no. Without imagining him lying naked on the ice. Right? So that's something that Tim 
is just going to have to carry with them. Now, now maybe you've never done something quite that stupid. That's that shameful. I don't know. And maybe it's not even a certain act. Uh, but, but maybe just this sense, this just sense of not measuring up. I think some of us, we just go through feeling like we just haven't, we are not the person we ought to be. We haven't done what we ought to have done. We go through life just kind of feeling less than. We haven't measured up, stained, tainted. Do you know that feeling? Maybe. God gave some wonderful words to the prophet Isaiah, recorded there, Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. Come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool, says the Lord. A day is coming when all of those stains that you cannot wash out, those deep red stains, will be made clean. You will be white as snow. He goes on to say, I, even I, this is God, am he who blots out your transgressions, for my own sake, and remembers your sins no more. Whited out. I think back to when I was in uh, school as a, as a young boy. They had these whiteout bottles. Do they still have those in school? Twist off the cap in this kind of goop. I think they maybe improved things there a little bit. But um, that whiteout was invented by a, a woman named Betsy. I think maybe in the 50s. And she was a secretary, and so she spent all day typing up documents. But the problem was on her typewriter, you'd make mistakes, inevitably. And there was no way to cover your mistakes. It was just there. It was blemished. You, you could try to type over it. You could try to cross it out. But you could not get rid of it. It was there. And so I guess she had these ideas, and, and she somehow invented this whiteout. And they didn't think it would ever catch on. She tried to, to, to pitch it to companies if they would buy it, and they didn't think it was a thing. But then, then more and more secretaries were using it because, well, they all make mistakes. And they all wanted it. And eventually she sold it for a whole lot of money. But I, I remember as a boy, man, there was two things I was envious as a kid in school. The kids that had Pop-Tarts and, and, and Pizza Pops in school. And I had a bologna sandwich every day. A bologna sandwich. And the kids that out white out. So nice just to cover over your mistakes. What, what, uh, what God is saying is through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I've taken a big bottle of white out. And I've taken that and I've covered all of your sin, all of your shame, all your regrets, all your fails. I have covered it over never to be seen again. God says, I remember it no more for all who have trusted in him. Um, if you search your name in God's uh, search engine, you won't, you won't find that sort of picture. You won't find a picture. May, now maybe in your own head, those are the pictures that come to you right away, are those pictures. When you search God's search engine for you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not gonna find any of that there. It's been deleted there's a, a neat story at the end of the Gospels. You know, Peter was one of the 12 disciples. He was maybe the main guy. He ran his mouth off a little too much. Do you know Peter's final words to Jesus? 
Well, he says to him at the Last Supper, he says, Lord, even if everyone else abandons you, I will never abandon you. I will die with you. Those are Peter's final words to Jesus. Well, maybe you know this story. A few hours later, Jesus is being beaten and mocked in this courtyard, and there's a big crowd, and at the back of the crowd is Peter. And three times, Peter denies Jesus. I don't know that man. Never met him. I don't belong to him, no. We're even told that one time Jesus hears Peter denying him and he turns and they lock eyes. As Peter says, I don't know him. The scriptures tell us that after that happens, he's just overcome with guilt and grief. He goes, he finds a back alley somewhere, he braces himself against the, the stone wall and he weeps bitterly, the Bible tells us. He, 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 he's never gonna live that down. Jesus is dead, and those are his final words. Have you ever had a spat with like your spouse or someone close to you, a parent or a kid, and then they get in a car and they drive somewhere, and the thought dawns on you, what if those were the last words I ever spoke to them? I don't want those to be the last angry words. And, and, and you call them, you say, honey, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, I love you, I just want you to know I love you, I love you. You ever done that? Am I the only one? We don't want those to be here. So so this is Peter's burden. This is Peter's burden. And the Bible speaks of his guilt. Anyway, Jesus rises from the dead. Good news. And records Jesus' first interaction with Peter. Jesus seeks out Peter. And you know what Jesus' first words to Peter are? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Good, then feed my sheep. A second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Good, feed my sheep. A third time, Peter, do you love me? This time he's getting a little upset, right? Jeez, yeah. Um, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Okay, good, just go and feed my sheep. Now, I don't think it dawned on him till later what Jesus was doing. Three times he had denied Jesus the last time they met. And what does Jesus do? The very first time he talks with Peter? I I don't want you to carry that weight. I, I died and I rose from the dead so you would not have to go through life carrying the burden of guilt. Be free of that. That's what he's doing. That's the heart of God in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead, Paul says, so that we might be free of the weight of the guilt and the regrets and the failures and the shortcomings of our past. God has whited it out. I'm not sure that's a word. Whited it out. He continues, Paul The next verse, he says, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So let's just turn this into a positive statement. What Paul is saying is, if Christ has risen, then we too will be raised. We too will be raised. What time, what year did Columbus sail? 1492, 1492, he sailed the ocean blue. So in Spain, at that point, uh, 
They had a slogan. It was a slogan that was on all their maps. It was a slogan that was on all their royal standards. It was the Latin words, ne plus ultra, no more beyond. I mean, Spain, if you look at a map, they're right on the edge of Europe, and then it's the Atlantic Ocean, and nothing. Spain's motto was, ne plus ultra, no more beyond, until Christopher Columbus sailed in that direction, and he found that there was more beyond. He discovered this land. He returned with the good news that there is more beyond. And so when, when he came back with that news, that good news, the king of Spain actually changed the motto and changed all of their flags, removing the word no. And now the new motto of Spain was plus ultra, more beyond. In fact, if you go to this place in Spain, I think it's in the city of Valladolid, Valladolid, I don't know how to pronounce that, but there's this statue of this big globe and, and, and a banner around it saying, no more beyond with this lion they've added, ripping off the word no. There's more beyond. You know, someone had asked uh, the philosopher Socrates all that time ago, is, is, there, is there something after life? Is there life after, or is there life after death? And Socrates just shrugged and famously said, who can say? Who can say? For us, the future seems dark and unknowable because we haven't been there. Who can say? Jesus says. The resurrection means there is more beyond This is what Paul says, there is more, if Christ has been raised, then we too who trust in him will be raised as well. You know, I think we tend to think of the resurrection of Jesus in his body as as a very unique event. Well, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's a unique one-time breaking of the rules of science sort of event. And, And I think that many of us maybe, and I don't know how, watching too many movies, I don't know. We just think that our future is is maybe we die and our body goes in the ground and maybe our spirit floats up somewhere. There's probably clouds there. Maybe harps. You eat bagels with cream cheese. I don't don't know. And, 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 And then we live forever somewhere in this disembodied spirit, and I think that's the conception some of us have of beyond, but that's not what Jesus says. That's not what Paul says. Paul says that Jesus' resurrection becomes our resurrection. If you continue, um, I obviously missed something here. We'll come to that in a minute. I don't have the words up there. If you continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Paul continues, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You know what a first fruit is? A first fruit is the fruit that comes first. And then there's others. It's, it's the first produce of a tree or of a field, the first of more. Okay? Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he returns, when he comes, those who belong to him. Paul is saying, We will be resurrected. 
Because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. His resurrection guarantees ours. And you know, so if, if, if you look to the very end of the Bible, where it paints a picture of what is to come, the end of all things that God is bringing history to. Revelation chapter 21, it says, uh, God, God says, I am making a new heaven and a new earth. And he's sitting on a throne and he says, behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. You know, the resurrection is about far more than just giving you life. It's, it's even about more than giving you the future of a body that you would be resurrected in the body that God created you to have. Through Jesus' rec- resurrection, God is restoring what he has made. He is making all things new. The one who made at the beginning is remaking. And that begins, that is secured by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead where death and sin are finally defeated. So, so the resurrection, it's not just about reconciling us to God, but, but the whole world to God, and it would take more time to un- unpack that. But all to say, death is not a destination, Paul says. Death is a door to more. Death is a door to more. Jesus' reconcil- uh, resurrection secures our future, and that has all sorts of ramifications and we could preach a long sermon series on that, but just, just one thing that that means for us, implication for us today, because how does that affect us in the present? Jesus rose from the dead. We will too someday in the future. What does that mean? Well, well, one thing it means is that the resurrection provides strength to be steadfast in our love, to persevere in our love. Now let's look at this text here. Matthew, or sorry, Luke 14. Jesus is having a meal with a bunch of Pharisees and he says to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a, give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the, say it, Resurrection of the righteous. Although they cannot repay you for your good deeds, you will be repaid one day for all the good you had done, all the love that you had persevered in. You will be repaid. Why? Because there is resurrection. I mean, and if there's no, if there's no more life beyond this life, well then just, hey, have a good time. I mean, make your bucket list and then try to take everything off your bucket list. Make life totally about you. Eat, drink, and be merry if this is it, if there's no more beyond. But there is more beyond. And that more beyond, Jesus says, gives us the ability to persevere, to be steadfast in goodness, steadfast in love, because none of that will go unrewarded but will be repaid at the resurrection the time to come. And so here we have Peter again, loudmouth Peter. In Matthew chapter 19, he's gonna ask the question the others are too afraid to ask. You know, they're following Jesus. They've left a lot. They've made sacrifices. Uh, Peter says to Jesus, Matthew 19 verse 27, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus says to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, now that's another word for resurrection, right? 
So what is the resurrection? It's the renewal of all things. This is the plan of God. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return. Jesus says, persevere. Okay? Persevere. Because everything you don't receive now that you ought to receive, that you think you ought to receive, you will receive in greater measure in the future at the resurrection. So Paul, when he ends this whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, on resurrection, he, he ends this, this discussion on the resurrection with this verse. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, what does it say? Stand firm. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He's saying the same thing Jesus said. If Christ has risen from the dead, you will too. And if you will too, that then gives you the ability to stand firm, to persevere in goodness. Because none of it, none of it will be in vain. Persevere, Paul says. John Piper, uh, a pastor, well-known pastor, some of you will know, <clears throat> he says this. Now think for a moment. Are these words that we will be repaid at the resurrection, are these words of our Lord intended to answer the question, um, where can a person find power to press on in a life of love when there are very few earthly rewards? Where does a husband or wife get the emotional strength to keep on giving when there is no reciprocation? Where does a man or woman who would like to be married get the strength to be content with singleness for 70 years? Where, is, where does the person who's uh, ministering sacrificially year after year, decade after decade, without any acknowledgement, any recognition, any accolades, where do they get the strength to endure? And the answer, says Jesus, is, is not in this life and not in this world. You will not get here what you deserve, the reward for your efforts. But a time is coming, Jesus promises, when you will be repaid. You will receive your reward, so hang in there, persevere. There's a few questions I want to give you so that you can ponder and, and, and pray over and take home with you. And we're gonna take a couple of minutes um, here in a moment to, to pray these questions. But um, is there any good you are growing weary of in which you need to persevere? I'm not even sure if that's a proper grammatical sentence. Forgive me, I'm not, I'm not good at English. Is there any good that you are growing weary of? Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at some relationship, maybe it's in marriage, maybe it's with some behavior resisting some temptation or whatever it is. Is there any good you're growing weary of in which you need to persevere? And secondly, is, is there any guilt that you are hanging on to? Maybe you hadn't persevered in something and you ought to have. 
Is there any guilt you are hanging on to of which you need to let go? Here in a couple months time, June 6th, I believe, we're gonna celebrate D-Day. It always seems to be like a big event. Some of you, you maybe have parents, grandparents that storm the beaches of Normandy. Anyone here? Maybe. June 6th every year, yeah? Who was it? Your, your father was there on D-Day. June 6th, 1944, uh, these thousands of men stormed the beach. It was a decisive day. And we celebrate it June 6th every year. Now, it's interesting. We don't really celebrate VE Day all that much. VE Day is Victory in Europe Day. That was about a year later. And, and we don't make much of that. But a lot is made of, of D-Day. And uh, I wondered what the D stood for. Does anyone know? It doesn't stand for anything. It's kind of disappointing. I thought there had to be like a really good thing stood for. You know, deliverance day, decision day. I, it, it actually doesn't stand for, for anything. It's just a, a common term used in militaries for an important military operation. I think of it as decisive day. D-Day is celebrated because even though the battle didn't stop then, the war was won on that day. Victory was secured on D-Day. And it had to be played out, and other battles had to be fought, but the end result was never in question because what had happened on that day, victory had been secured. The war was won on that day. When they took those beaches and they took that stronghold from the enemy, uh, that's a lot like what resurrection is for us. Jesus, through his, his death and his resurrection, he has overcome the power of sin and death. And you know what? We still have to go on living. We still have to fight battles. But on that day when he rose from the dead, Jesus secured our victory. He secured our future to all who receive Jesus in faith. His victory becomes our victory. We sang a few minutes ago the song In Christ Alone and there was a great line there that kind of sums it all up. We sang, no guilt in life, no fear in death. And when when we sung that I thought, I should just preach, don't you wish I had just preached that line? That would have just been a lot easier. No guilt in life, no fear in death. That's what it's all about because Jesus lives, we can live forgiven and we can live Forever, his victory becomes our victory. Now, if there's something worth twirling a little white towel around for and celebrating, it ought to be that. Do you agree? Do you agree? I mean, we can twirl a, a towel for like a dozen overplayed, overpaid men. They got outplayed. I mean, if there's anything we should twirl a towel for and celebrate, it's the victory that Jesus has for us, which we experience today. And so here in a moment, we're, we're gonna sing two closing songs, and, and I don't, I mean, if, if you have a white hanky, yeah, sure, feel free. Pull it out and wing it around, but, but just in our hearts, let's just bring that spirit to the way we respond to this message, this good news um, and as the worship team comes up to prepare to lead us in that, I just want to give us an opportunity to, to respond uh, to this with prayer. So if you want to bow your head and close your eyes and we can all at the same time um, talk to God and hear from God. And I just, 
ask you to take a moment and just begin by thanking God that through Jesus, your victory has been secured. Victory over sin and death, which we receive by faith in him. Just take a moment and thank God for that victory, which we can stand in today. Thank him that, that he's whited out all of your sin. He remembers that no more. And, and, and just ask him if, if there's anything in your life, any, any guilt or any shame that you're hanging on to that's, that's a weight for you that you're carrying. Just, just thank him that he's taken care of it and, and just let go of it. hard thing that you're going through that you're having to persevere in um, and, and, and you're just getting weary of that and if that's the case just bring that to God and, and, and just thank him that all that goodness is going to be rewarded someday we will be repaid for all of that good and just Thank him for what he's done and, and, and ask him to give you the ability to, to just persevere in that good thing, whatever that is. Ask God to, to help you stand firm.